This is God's word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gold, gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Read that far in uh, God's word. Christmas is about the search for the true king and order to worship him. But there are various kings. The question comes across to us as readers, which king will you worship? There's two kings presented in our chapter, Herod and Jesus. Which is the king of your life? Be careful that it's not yourself, which is the error we could call the error of Herod. The main point you see on your outline is as at Christmas, God gave us the picture of the self-made king and the king of kings. Where is your focus? Point one, do not resist Jesus' reign over you. Number two, do not ignore God's invitation to worship Jesus. And number three, don't say you worship Jesus too if you would not go a short distance to meet him. Number one, don't resist his reign over you. So we begin in verse one, Jesus born during the reign of another king, a king named Herod. And the wise men come and they ask this question that always seems to annoy kings. Where's the other king? Where is the king, they ask. And it's almost as if Matthew wants us as readers to ask, which king? Which king are the wise men looking for? But it's specified in their question, if you look carefully at verse 2. He who has been born king, born king of the Jews. Now, a little background on Herod. This is the Herod who had killed three of his own sons in his mad drive to keep his crown and throne and power. That's the kind of man we're dealing with in Herod, that he would kill his own sons to keep his power. Do you think he's above killing three wise men or the various, however many there were wise men from the east? There's a larger threat here, though, that Herod wants to take care of, 
not the wise men themselves, but whatever this is that they're talking about, this other fellow, this baby, is seen as a bigger threat to Herod. So as we've seen from chapter 1, and even if you haven't been here as we've studied, you know the outline of chapter 1, that Herod is not the rightful heir of the throne of David. Don't you think that Herod knows the Jews will want to follow he who is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel? Herod realizes that someone holding the title son of David could gather the Jews around and try to overthrow him. As weak as they might be, it still could be a threat. So he didn't want these religious people, the very religious people, known as the Jews, to unite around an incoming king, though he's a child, Jesus. Remember that most Jews themselves expected the Messiah to come in a certain form, to come as a great military leader with power and with an army and a political deliverer like Moses was, or like one of the Old Testament judges such as Samson or even Gideon. That's how the Jewish mind expected the Messiah to come and arrive. Herod's counselors would have informed Herod about all of this with the expectation and the mindset and the Jewish scriptures. So Herod had people. He had uh, those who would report to him all these factors. And Herod had enemies. But Herod kept on surviving because Herod was ruthless and violent. In verse 3, we see Herod is disturbed. And you could say, "Uh uh-oh. Because whenever Herod's disturbed, people die. And in verse 3, we read this. Read carefully. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. All Jerusalem what? All Jerusalem was troubled and disturbed with him. And sure enough, in verse 16... Herod took no chances, and he used the information gained from these wise men to issue an order that all the babies under to be killed, down at verse 16. We'll cover that more this evening, Lord willing. But he did use that information in order to protect his throne at the cost of every baby two years old and under in Bethlehem and across the vicinity. Did I tell you this is the kind of king we're dealing with? Who would kill that many children just to try to get one? No, um, Herod did not desire to worship Jesus. Did you hear me clear my throat at the proper moment there? That's how it's meant to be read, and I'll make that more and more abundantly clear as we study this passage carefully. It's so well written, so careful. There's so much here. Herod is lying when he told the wise men to return to Herod so Herod could worship Jesus. Herod did not desire to worship Jesus. His plan was to trick the wise men and kill Jesus. That's so clear. Please don't miss that. There's a profound spiritual picture here that Matthew and our Savior, by his Holy Spirit carrying Matthew along in his writing, wants us to see. We'll pause here and reflect on the picture that's been presented so far. Um, In Herod, we see clearly what theologians call original sin. It simply means the wrongdoing at the initiating and foundational level that messes everything up. Original sin. In other words, each of us is infected with a sin disease from day one. The sin disease 
has another name that we more commonly use. It's called selfishness. And it's a serious spiritual disease, and the symptoms all show self-centeredness. My life is about me. I get angry because I don't get what I want, and I demand things, and I interpret things all from perspective of me. It's the Herod syndrome. It's a graphic representation of this figure, Herod, that shows what all of us are in Adam, what all of us are in our human nature, more subtly, perhaps, within. We fight passionately for self-rule. What do toddlers say? Me do. From then forward, we just get more subtle in our ways to express that to one another. Please don't tell me what to do. And drop the please sometimes. Don't tell me what to do. This is a problem for all of us, and it's a picture of Herod in the story. It's a picture of you. It's a picture of me. Christ has come, and we get all dressed up and come to celebrate his coming, but have we really celebrated his coming? We are like Herod in the sense that we'll go to almost any length to retain personal power, authority, and control. That's why we hate it when others tell us what to do. It's a spiritual problem here impacts our relationship to Jesus, just like it impacted Herod's relationship to Jesus. Jesus was not just born a baby. He's born, as the wise men said, a king, our king. Hey, Herod, he's born your king. It means that Jesus can tell you what to do. We don't like that any more than Herod liked that. I think the caution in this passage is to us to say, be very careful about your own heart. Don't resist Jesus like Herod did, which we're all prone to do. William Barclay, theologian, wrote it this way, the man whose one desire is to do whatever he likes never has any use for Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us to do some things that we don't like to do. Jesus tells us not to do things that we like to do. He is king. We are not. He issues orders. We must obey. And if the picture of Herod tells us anything about our spiritual condition, it tells us the raw human nature reaction to Jesus is rebellion. Leave him as a baby in a manger. Oh, so cute. But let him grow up and be the king telling me how to live, what to think, what not to think, what to say, and what not to say, what to do, what not to do. And our reaction in our sinful nature is rebellion. Jesus is Lord, and we are his servants. What we thought was our own sovereignty is over. Herod is every man. And when Jesus enters the realm of Herod, Herod's sovereignty is over. When Jesus enters the realm of you, your sovereignty is over. Romans 1.18, Paul wrote, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth are we suppressing? Jesus is Lord. I must do what Christ says. I must do what God's word says. 
Those who suppress the truth Paul went on to show in Romans 1 are not some small group of extreme front-page sinners like Herod, but it's all of us. So Paul concluded the section, which actually carries all the way into chapter 3 of Romans, with something we need reminding of this Christmas time, Romans 3.10. There is not one person who is righteous. No, not one. There is no one who understands. Listen, there is not one who seeks God. Wait just a minute. It's Christmas Sunday. I'm in church. At least give me credit for seeking God. The Bible tells me you're not here to seek God. In our sinful nature, we're not. We do not seek God in our, on our own, in our sinful nature. We rebel against God. Herod is what we are deep down inside. We are by nature children of wrath. Original sin is continuing to be a problem. Even in baptized and converted Christians, we have this battle still. The New Testament talks about it as flesh versus spirit. Sinful nature versus converted mind. It's covered. The sin nature is covered and pardoned by God's grace. It does not have dominion over you, let's be clear. But it still hangs around. Herod lives in you and so does Jesus. Herod tempts you to doubt, to hate, to resist Jesus, your king. So our flesh, our little mini Herod inside is corrupt and hates God. and We're in a bad way. We need the ongoing application of redemption. Luther wrote it this way, our uh, reformer Martin Luther Man is not able by nature to, do, to want God to be God. Instead, he wants himself to be God and does not want God to be God. End quote. That's Martin Luther. Luther's point is the same as Matthew's point in this passage, so literarily that the point of the sermon, and I think the point of Luther is, let God be God. Or since we're here on Christmas... Christmas Sunday, let Christ Jesus be king of Christmas, king of your life. It's interesting, the more you study Matthew's words here closely, so masterfully done, it has to be written by God the Holy Spirit who carried Matthew along. For example, Matthew wrote that Herod is the king in verse 1. I tried to read this so you'd draw attention, but now I'm pointing it out to you. Verse 3, again, Herod's the king. Verse 9, Herod's the king. But after the wise men worship King Jesus, in verse 11, Matthew never again refers to Herod as king, thereby literally and symbolically dethroning Herod. And we could say amen to that going forward, right? And his question to us is, have you dethroned Herod? Those of you who have been Christians a long time, could I say this to you? That you think you're so strong. You think you love Jesus. Do you realize how much you need the Savior's grace afresh today in order to change your resistance, your ongoing sin nature resistance to those commands of Christ Jesus, our King? As our first point, don't resist his reign. Number two, do not ignore his invitation to worship. Verse four, Herod called the chief priests and teachers of the law. What do chief priests and teachers of the law say to the king? They're in the religious realm. They're in the um, spiritual book realm, right? That's what they do. What are, what are uh, chief priests? What are teachers of the law, the scribes? What are they? They're experts in the word. 
So the king comes and says, okay, experts in spiritual and religious things from the word, tell me what the word says. This is a proclamation of the word of God to Herod. They quote the writings of an inspired prophet named Micah. You have it quoted for you, verses 4 to 6. In other words, you could put it this way, just so you don't miss the point, I'll make it abundantly clear. Pastors read to the king from the Bible and told the king what it means. Kind of like what's happening here. Herod heard the holy scriptures of God and he understood that it referred to the Christ child. When Herod heard the prophecy about Bethlehem, it was God's verbal invitation to Herod to come and meet with God and with his wise men. Both Herod and the wise men are sinners. Both receive this invitation to come and meet with the Christ child. Both Herod and the wise men are foreigners. I just mean they're not Jews. Both received invitations to worship the Jewish king. Herod, and even more surprisingly, you could say this way, the whole presbytery, the general assembly, and every theological faculty heard the same invitation of the word of God and did not pursue it. Where are they in the nativity? He who is the word became flesh and came to his own, but his, people, his own people did not receive him. John 1.11 Israel rejected her Messiah, while some Gentiles accepted him. Again, we could pause and make application to our lives here with the help of the rest of the New Testament. What does it mean for us? We could apply this one to our young people, our children for Christmas. Children of Christian families, children of church members can reject Jesus while young people in the world come to know Jesus this Christmas. That can happen. God's word gets presented. Herod heard the word. Herod himself had a chance. Many will hear the word today, I pray. We pray, don't we? Christmas services around the world. Read the word. (laughs) Proclaim Christ. Many will get a chance. Herod heard the gospel. Well, Jesus was in baby form. Herod heard it through the word Bethlehem. The word itself means house of bread. Come and eat and live. Come to God's house. House of bread. Christ came to Herod through the Old Testament prophecy being read. Herod rejected the invitation to worship Jesus and instead kept on his pathway of trying to kill Jesus. And the question comes, what about you? You're at that fork in the road. What will you do with Jesus? Feed or try to kill him off? Get out of here with that. You hear the New Testament scriptures being read about the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, reject God's invitation to worship him. The gospel, in that sense, came to Herod too. He didn't want to worship. Not even a remnant of superstitious respect brought him to Bethlehem. Not a bit of religious respect for the prophet Micah's prediction moved Herod to come there. Christ came, died, rose, is coming again. Will we worship him or not? And just a side note about the star. Verse 2, verse 7, the star. Some have said, it just annoys me, I have to mention this. Some have said it's a supernova or some conjunction of Jupiter, Saturn, and, and Mars lining up. Could you just stop with that? Couldn't the God who created the heavens and the earth, everything up there, Jupiter, Mars, all of it, couldn't this God who saw the problem of humanity and sent his son to die for humanity, couldn't he have just created a star, 
whose job it is to guide people to where his son will enter this world? Is it really out of the realm of possibility for scientists to accept that prophets foretold it, angels announced it, that virgin womb conceived, and a star had a purpose to mark the place where he came? Don't get me preaching about the star. I'll get sidetracked. I just wanted a little uh, side note. Third point, moving to our third point. Don't say you worship Jesus too if you would not go a short distance to meet him. Compare the various approaches. You have Herod, you have the religious leaders, foreign wise men, all responding to the birth of Jesus. The wise men traveled a very long way to see the king of the Jews. And um, need I say, they traveled the old-fashioned way. We now have uh, varying heat um, on the left side of the car. You can have this temperature. On the right side of the car, you can have this temperature. They're, they're traveling the old-fashioned way. This, this is effort. Days of camels and walking. When they finally found him, the text bursts with joy. It's multiple layers of trying to express their joy in verse 10. They saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. We worship, gifts, joy. The religious leaders seemed to know about the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem, but they didn't bother to travel seven miles from Bethlehem to see him. Seven miles. These leaders can't say they're looking for the Messiah when they won't go seven miles to greet him when he's born. Herod can't say he wanted to worship Jesus. That's a lie. He's unwilling to make that trip and investigate further. He wants to kill him. He wants to kill all the baby boys. What approach do people often take to Jesus today? I do a lot of talking to people and ask them, you know, your religious beliefs and so on. And people say, basically, if you boil it down, I want God to come looking for me. We expect God to explain himself to me. I got questions. We expect God to prove who he is in such a way that I'll be convinced and I want to use my own scientific method. And then we expect God to give us gifts. I prayed for stuff and God didn't give it to me. The expectation is that God will do what I say and God will give me what I, I demand. And the truth is, wise men still seek Jesus. We are to seek him. And when we don't, he does come seeking us. That's the whole point. He did come. He has sought us. He seeks us by his own Holy Spirit and brings us from darkness to light, from death to life. Do we worship him today? Not for what we could get from him, but for who he is. And I, honestly, this world is such a dangerous place spiritually. We have thousands of people who will travel so far to see a supposed appearance of the Virgin Mary in cornflakes or on the wall of a cave, but will not come to a nearby Christian worship service that will exalt Jesus Christ, her son, from the pages of Scripture. So confused. Be aware of the dangerous spiritual condition in which our world is that you're living in. The wise men brought gifts. The wise men overjoyed when they found Jesus. The wise men worshipped Jesus with an understanding of who he is. That's the essence of true worship. That's the response to the birth of Jesus. That is what we are called to do from God in this passage. To honor Christ for who he is. Be willing to give him what is valuable and useful to you. Give him your prime time. First day of the week. 
We come and worship this Christ. We worship him because he's perfect, he's just, he's filled with grace and mercy. He's the almighty creator of the universe, and he's worthy of the best we have to give. So I'm trying to wrap up here with some, some application stuff, some conclusion. What does all this mean for us? I've said some along the way. The conclusion is that we are both. We're the wise men and we're Herod's. We are converted believers, children of God by faith, those of us who trust in him, and we're also still sinners by nature. We are Herod's in the sense that we have that sin nature and rebellion. Are we really that bad? (laughs) My friends, left to yourself, you're worse off than you think. Be careful not to flatter yourself that you don't have the darkness of Herod or you don't have the mistakes of Adam. That you're in more spiritual danger walking through this world than you suppose. You've offended God more than you realize and you care less than you think you do. Your need for Jesus is greater than you will admit, greater than you actually know. You'll hardly grow in your understanding while you keep this foolish view of yourself with pride. When God invited the wise men to worship Jesus, it was an act of grace. Not because these wise men were holy, not because Mary was holy, but only because the Christ child was holy. So grace, by very definition, is not given to the deserving. You need to have a sense of your undeservingness, a sense of your sin, because that's your true fallen condition. You're Herod. But on the other side, you are the wise men, in the sense that you do worship Jesus. You have come here on a very cold day in order to worship him. And that's why that we understand by Christ's grace we've been converted. We're here in order to seek God. In the end your life will be saved as their lives were saved. Verse 12, we're told the wise men were warned by God about Herod. The lives of the wise men were saved. It's a picture of how we will be saved. The action of God, the warning of God. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, your life will be saved. If they had been merely astrologers, you think they would have returned to Herod? You think Herod would let them live if he was cruel enough to kill babies in his own kingdom when he perceived they might be a threat to him? And these wise men came from a foreign country asking about a king other than Herod. If, if, if you're not interested in, worship Jesus, in worshiping Jesus, you wouldn't be here. And so there's that sense in which we are the wise men and we're Herods. We are, as Scripture says, both sin, nature, and converted children of God. But the real point of the passage is not that you're Herod or not that you're wise men, but that Jesus is the king. The child is the savior. Jesus is that son of David, Davidic king forever. Jesus is what Israel was meant to be. Jesus is what Adam was meant to be. Jesus is what you were supposed to be. We've all sinned and fallen short of what we were supposed to be, fallen short of the glory of God. We were supposed to glorify God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind from day one through our whole lives. We fell short. Jesus never fell short, not for a second. He loved God the Father with his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He lived an entire human experience that way. He understands our lives. Jesus knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. Jesus took our journey. He went our way. He shared our problems. He felt our temptations. Though he himself never sinned, 
he then had our sins and the condemnation of God for them placed upon him. He became sin for us and suffered the full wrath of God for it. He died our death for us. He rose again for us. He lives in us now by his spirit. Look how good God was to invite the wise men. Look how ominously Herod responded to his invitation. Look what the child king went through for us in his life. Worship him and be overjoyed. Submit to him and receive his grace. Worship the king of Christmas. Let's pray.